This week on Honey, You Should Watch This, we watched Unforgiven. And all I have to tell you is if you're on your way to Big Whiskey, you best not run across the duck of death, because he will quickly dispatch you to see the platypus of purgatory. Welcome back, everybody, to this week's installment of What a Woman Makes a Man Watch. What? And What a Man Makes a Woman Watch. And What a Couple Makes Each Other Watch. Tell me when I get it right. Uh, You're not close. What? (laughs) Wow. I've been doing this thing all wrong. Yeah. Yeah, you have. It's called Honey, You Should Watch This. Oh, no, no. I wasn't referring to the name of the, ty- of the podcast. Oh, you're talking about the what, concept what you make of our me podcast. Do every week. Yeah. <laughs> a husband and wife force each other to watch films they wouldn't normally watch. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a good time. So, uh, this is our 16th week. 16 um, whole weeks. It doesn't seem like it's been four no. months. No. But I guess it has been. Yeah. This time change is kicking my butt. Oh. Just this, the, no, this, this time change is great because now I have a better chance to work the crops. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. Actually, the Daily Show actually did a a little story on it, um, and they were in Arizona, which does not honor the time change. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, smart, it's, smart. It's a pretty funny show because they talk about all the all the um, groups that lobbied for for the time change. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but it was a pretty uh, funny if you could give you I don't think anybody can find it on the internet, look it up. I don't think anybody in their right mind would lobby for the time change. But we digress. I wonder I wonder I wonder I wonder if they had to deal with the time change in this movie. I doubt it. When was the time change? Oh, I don't know. Long time ago. Yorn yonder. Yeah, yon yorn yonder. Yon and yon. Or maybe Maybe Big Whiskey, since they didn't allow weapons in the town, didn't allow time changes in the town either. That's see, this shit is so relevant. It's so it's deep. Is it it's deep? Deep, deep, deep. Is it, it's deep. I, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> so uh, this week we watched um, Unforgiven. We did with uh, Clint Eastwood and Gene Hackman and Morgan Freeman. Yeah, good cask. Cast. Yeah, not yeah. cask. Yeah, there was a lot of supporting actors, actresses in it that have had done other stuff that are pretty f- pretty popular and. Solid actresses, probably not big names, but you know, people that have you know done things done in places with things and places people. and things with people. Yeah, things like that. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. So, so, I think I have a question for you, don't I? Ooh, yeah, I'm, I'm, my, I'm out. My quota. I've already answered <laughs> enough questions today. Why'd you make me watch this? Because this is a good movie and. It's a good movie that is out of your comfort zone. You don't watch westerns. You don't mm-hmm. like to watch Clint Eastwood because you think he's going to get daddy hurt. issues. Yeah, and he's going <laughs> to remind you of something bad happening to your dad or something. 
uh, and I knew that you would at least appreciate it, whether you did or didn't like it. Uh, that's why. Okay. I mean, it, it won Best Picture, mm-hmm. which means that pff, it's an amazing film because all Best Picture winners are amazing. <laughs> Just ask the Academy. Okay, then. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So, where do you want to go from here? Well, I think you have a question for me. Do I? Yeah. What is for dinner tonight? Um, oh, no, not no, that question? No. Different question? Different question. Uh, did you like it? I was confused. <sighs> Seriously, you were confused? I right. was confused. I watched that entire film, did not hear that Metallica song once. Uh, <laughs> Buzzing. All right. Well, pew, you pew, know what? Pew, pew. It's a good thing because, you know, that song is way overplayed. And to be <laughs> honest with you, I'm surprised you even know who Metallica is. <laughs> Last time I checked, Joni Mitchell was not in Metallica. <laughs> Therefore, it can't be any good. Uh. To answer the question seriously, uh, yeah, I did like it. Uh, it's it was it definitely left me feeling a little. I'm I'm struggling to find the word. It, it kind of not necessarily incomplete, but definitely a little off. You know, because it wasn't like a good guy versus bad guy scenario, which you typically get from a western. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the end, you know, when it comes to its inevitable conclusion with Clint Eastwood being the badass that he is, it, it makes you feel, I don't know, just, just kind of off because you're wondering about everybody else afterwards, because this is not a happy ending by any means. So it's, you know, it just Uh, took me a while to process this whole thing. The whole I, I film. Think, I think it's kind of a happy ending. It's, I mean, happy ending. It's a decent. It's a. I, I mean, yeah. I I could I could I could argue a happy ending here. Mm. Yeah, I just kind of didn't. I didn't feel that way. I mean, it wasn't completely morally black and white. So you really have to, you know, it definitely was think about, that. you know, how how the events of the film impact the characters that you've come to. Yeah, it definitely was not black and white. I don't want to say understand, but... But that car chase was incredible. <laughs> Painter stage door wagon green. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is where we're going to start off stagecoach door. There's it, stagecoach door. I yeah. forgot coach. <laughs> Painter stagecoach wagon door green. What? <laughs> Uh, okay. I mean, when he had eight horsepower pulling that stagecoach. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Why don't so, you give us a synopsis and we'll dig into this, baby. I will do my best. I have pulled from all of, a lot of different sources, um, including IMDb, a um, little bit of Google. So Unforgiven is a 1992 American revisionist Western film produced and directed by Clint Eastwood and written by David Webb Peoples. It is set in 1880 in the town of Big Whiskey, Wyoming, where two cowboys, Quick Mike and Davy Boy Bunting, attack and disfigure a prostitute, Delilah Fitzgerald, after she laughs at Quick Mike's, well, his teeny peeny. Ah, you got a little one. (laughs) Don't do that. Do what? 
laugh at his teeny peeny. Oh, there's nobody in here with a knife <laughs> that I know of. Chucky is somewhere. He's right, over, he's right over there, but I got yeah. his knife right here. Oh, okay. Um, so as a punishment, local sheriff, Little Bill Daggett, orders the cowboys bring seven horses as compensation to the brothel owner. The rest of the prostitutes are, prostitutes are outraged by the sheriff's decision and scrape together a $1,000 reward um, and put out the word that they will give it to anyone who kills the cowboys. In Hodgman County, Kansas, a boastful young man who is calling himself the Schofield Kid visits William Money, seeking to recruit him to help kill the cowboys and claim the reward. In his youth, Money was a notorious outlaw and murderer, but now he is a repentant widower raising two children. After initially refusing to help, Mooney recognizes that his pig farm is failing and jeopardizing his children's futures, so he reconsiders and recruits his friend Ned Logan, another retired outlaw, and they try to catch up to the kid. Upon finding out about the bounty, Big Whiskey's sheriff, again, I've already mentioned him, Little Bob, who doesn't allow vigilanteism in his town, prepares for the eventual arrival of gunslingers attempting to claim it. When a famed outlaw now turned gun for hire for the railroad, English Bob, who's also an old acquaintance and a rival of Little Bill, when he comes to town, Little Bill wastes no time in disarming and viciously beating him before running him out of town to make an example. Money, Logan, and the kid arrive in town during a rainstorm and head to the saloon. While Logan and the kid meet with the prostitutes upstairs, a feverous Mooney is sitting at a table alone when Little Bill and his deputies confront him. Not realizing Money's identity, Bill beats him and kicks him out of the saloon for carrying a pistol. Logan and the kid escape through a back window, and the three regroup at a barn outside of town where they nurse Money back to health. A few days later, the trio ambush and kill Bunting in front of his friends. Logan wounded Bunting, but he lost his nerve when attempting to finish him off, so he resolves to return home. Money finishes the job and does so using Logan's rifle. Money and the kid then head towards the cowboy's ranch, where the kid ambushes Quick Mike in the outhouse and kills him. After they escape, a distraught kid confesses he never killed anyone before and renounces his life as a gunfighter. When one of the prostitutes arrives to give him the reward, they learn that Logan had been captured and tortured to death by Bill, but not before revealing Money's identity. The kid heads back to Kansas with the reward, and Money hits the bottle again and heads back to Big Whiskey to take revenge on Little Bill. The film stars Clint Eastwood as Will Money, Gene Hackman as Little Bill Daggett, Morgan Freeman as Ned Logan, Richard Harris as English Bob, James Wolvett as the Schofield Kid, Saul Rubin as W.W. Beauchamp, who is the um, biographer for English Bob, Frances Fisher, who is the lead prostitute, Strawberry Alice, and Anna Levine as Delilah Fitzgerald. All right. Okay, you talk for a while. Oh, no, no, no. I need to, I need to take a break. No. Yeah. Okay, um... Westerns are a very popular mo- genre of movie in Hollywood for a long time because of the ability to write them very easily and the ability to film them very cheaply. And uh, but but they don't typically do very well when it comes to like award time because, you know, you got some bad acting and you got some some cheesy gunfights and I mean, there's some westerns where you watch where you're standing, the guy standing two feet away, and you can see him shoot, and he's aiming up at the sun and things like that. 
Uh, one of the things to me that stands out about this movie was was the acting was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, really kind of had the show stolen by Gene Hackman. Yeah, um, he's well. Well, he's. I think he steals the show in anything. He's, he's, he's incredible. In. Um, it breaks my heart that he ended his career with Welcome to Mooseport. It breaks my heart <laughs> because this guy is like it, it doesn't matter what the movie is. It's almost it's almost worth watching because he's in it. Except Welcome to Mooseport. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember watching Postcards from the Edge. That's the one with Meryl Streep, and mm-hmm. it was written by Carrie Fisher. Basically, her life with Debbie Fisher is kind of what it's based on. It's pronounced Princess Leia. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, um, so he's got just a small role in it because she's in the beginning of the film. Um, she's completely drugged out and she cannot get a scene right because she can't say the words she's supposed to say. She keeps slurring them. And at some point in the film, you know, after she's kind of gone through some rehab and, and all of that, she has to go back and overdub what she messed up. And she's very very hesitant gene hackman plays i don't know if he plays the director or he's just the sound guy or whatever and he gives her kind of a little pep talk he's not in the film i don't think more than i think 10 minutes is 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 kind of overestimating it but damn he's amazing um he just was i just was like oh oh, i want to be your friend (laughs) i think everybody does um i've never seen him in something i didn't like him in he was actually best offered, Lex Luthor. Uh, hands I agree. down, I agree. I agree, one hundred percent. He was actually offered the role um, of William Money mm-hmm. at one of the times uh, that this movie was looking to be made, and he turned it down and was not interested in being in the movie because he didn't like the script. And Clint Eastwood convinced him to take this part, and um, ended up getting best supporting actor. He won the Oscar for it. So. Um, that's uh, different. He does uh, a very good job of being a hateable good guy. Yeah, I, I would. I struggle to call him a good guy too because he's kind of walking the edge of. Well, yeah. In, in the typical, guy, guy. in the typical yeah. uh, cliche, like you said, with a western, uh, the sheriff's a good guy. The sheriff's almost always the good guy in westerns because it, yeah. uh, they were because it was that time in our. In our history, where they had the what was it the 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 rule they had the the MacArthur rules or no the, um oh god um yeah, the Hayes Code the, the Hayes Code where the good guy always had to win and the bad guy always had to get his comeuppance and the sheriff was always uh, sheriff was always the good guy I right mean, or the shame person had to have some redemption e- exactly yeah, exactly so he he's the sheriff and he's try doing the right thing being a good citizen maybe as a younger person he was not but at, at this point in time he is. You know, I mean, he starts off by coming to the, the, the brothel and finds out that these two guys have cut up and he says he's going to whip them. And then, you know, Skinny gets all pissed off about his money and he says, well, you can give him horses. And then he pisses the girls off. And but but he 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 punished him. He enforced the law. He did maybe a little bit arrogantly, but he was supposed yeah, to be a good guy. Uh, he's got a, quite a bit of hubris in Oh, quite a bit. Yeah. It's an understatement. Yeah, but which probably but he, takes him down. He is the quintessential the, the supposed to be the good guy in this because he is the sheriff. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, the the reason this is kind of a revisionist western is is it's taking um a, let's not overuse the word here, but the taking the tropes that you're used to in a western and kind of turning them on their head, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've got 
um, the sheriff who who is vicious. I mean, when it comes to to maintaining order in his town, it's it's, it's vicious, and it's not about his duty. It's more, I think, about his pride. A little bit. Um, you have. Uh, I'm not going to say your damsels in distress, but you have the the what's put in motion by the prostitutes is normally, you know, they're trying to um, the protagonist of the film is is, you know, rescuing someone who's being held captive or, you know, someone who's who's threatened, you know, that the innocent folk of the town, the school marm, you know, this, you know, a fist when a fistful of dollars, you have the wife that's being held hostage by the you know, one of the big names, families in the town, you know, as a mistress and he, you know, he saves her and all that. These are prostitutes, right? These are not necessarily what you would consider innocence in the context of a Western film. Um, They are not um, just throwaways or there to support it. They actually set the whole thing in motion. Um, And you've got a lot of other things too. I mean, it's definitely a look, um, a deeper look at, what it means to kill somebody. Um, And that's usually not how Westerns are. It's usually bang, bang, shoot them up. And yeah, they kind of, they, they, they admit that this is an anti-violence type movie that, you know, they, they show that violence isn't always the best. They're trying to show that violence isn't always the best answer. I don't, I think that he goes a little bit overboard, but I also think that he, He's kind of like <clears throat> he's kind of like that bouncer in a bar right. who does his job and he does his job until something happens and he snaps and then he loses his shit because when he dealt with um uh English Bob mm-hmm. uh when he dealt with um William Money the first time he said hey not so much English Bob because English Bob was just flipping up his nose at the police officers when they said give me give me your your pistol and right. he's like he's like no I'm not going well, to Oh he's just putting on yeah. his act yeah you that know? that pissed him off but he walked up to, to to money when he was in the in the brothel and said hey the weather's pretty bad out you probably didn't see the signs um why don't you go ahead and give me your pistol and you know we won't have any problems and then William money lied to him and then then he lost his shit but he was also kind of you know, he went overboard when he when he did the thing with 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 uh, English Bob. He beat him up in the street, mm-hmm. beat the shit out of him, and then basically taunted him when he was in the jail cell, trying to get him to grab the gun so he could kill him, but didn't kill him. Exercise, um, not exercised. Um, <laughs> when you banish someone, you, oh he yeah um oh god Keep excommunicated he excommunicated. <laughs> But he kicked good, him out of the town. He banished him from the town. But yes. the good news is there was no demons anymore once he was on exercising. He exerc- him, so ex- it, 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 it worked out. Which all uh, you know that sucks. Um, the gentleman from uh, the the Exorcist died the other day. No, oh, he did. Yeah, who's the old the old the older? I need older a gentleman. young priest and an old I priest. I think it was the older priest. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I think it was ninety. I can't remember his name. Rest in peace, sir. So anyway. You know what, guys? Getting old sucks. Do they have a memory pill that we can take? Is there a memory <laughs> pill somewhere? Because I, oh my lord. Um, so uh, you know, he he was supposed to be the good guy, but they made him out to be the bad guy. Otherwise, you would never root for 
yeah. for, for Clint Eastwood's it's, character. You know, it's complicated. It it really is, and and it's the Different same movie. thing. Same. Th- <laughs> it's a good movie. Um, yeah, but it's 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 complicated because he is trying to do his job in the best way possible. However, it's you know he's he's got a little bit of go that going overboard. To, yes. to gain control and we should say that you know his past is the same as as everyone you know everyone else's you've got ed money who's this old this former outlaw you have um ned logan who's a former outlaw you have um english bob again former outlaw and little bob they are all former outlaws um so that streak is still inside of him just like that streak is kind of lurking way 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 down for money Right. Um, the thing with mo- the thing with money is, is if you look at this film and 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 you look at the the plot of Fistful of Dollars, Fistful of Dollars, he's coming into town and he's taking advantage of the situation and kind of double crossing or double dealing to get money. Um, once one person completely kind of goes over the edge and starts terrorizing the town, he comes back and it's not about money anymore. It's about just setting things right and getting this guy out of the picture. Um, for this, money is, um, he doesn't want to have to do it, but he sees the situation and that his kids could starve to death, so he needs to get that money. Um, he could have just as easily walked away at the end of the picture um, and not confronted um, little Bob for a killing Ned and B displaying him to little Bill. To little Bill sorry, that's okay. It's we, Bill we, and Bob, we, Bob and Bill. We, we've talked about we, we've talked back and forth about this, and we're constantly mm. saying English Bill and Little Bob. So <laughs> it's, it's English Bob and Little Bill. English Bob, Little Bill. Hey, it's easier so, than Red Heather, Blue Heather, Yellow Heather. Yeah, <laughs> Red Heather, Yellow Heather. Um, so that's you know him going back is definitely to probably as out of loyalty to his old friend, but it is going a way that he didn't want to go. I mean, he ha- he he killed one person to finish the job um, that Ned couldn't do, and he let the Schofield kid kill the other one because he was aching to do it. And, you know, one of the things I didn't say in, in the plot synopsis is the Schofield kid, again, is somebody you wouldn't expect because he's showing up and you know he's talking trash, you know, trying to say he killed this many people and that many people and... Um, you know, really, you know, eager to get to it and all that. And then they realize as they're going, you know, toward Big Whiskey that he's very nearsighted. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. really bad. Can't shoot, see more than 50 feet, feet in front of him. So yeah, he gives I, I think him... that's probably being generous. He gives him the ambush to give him that kill, but he also knows he can do it because it's very short range. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's... You know, you're you're expecting, you know, you've got, you know, instead of this bad person overcoming his bad nature to help people, it's I got to get the money. He's not helping really anyone. He's avenging a death. But really, how does that help anyone? Um, It doesn't. You know, but but it's just about the money. It's. Well, you know, again, William Money gets his name. True. (laughs) The the thing about the West was, uh, I, I think a lot of people don't understand how isolated. It's really hard for people to understand ice, being isolated now. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're old enough that we remember that when we wanted to talk, call our grandma, we had to wait till after seven o'clock on 
you know, at the weekend because mm-hmm. it was it was so expensive to just get a hold of somebody. We couldn't just text them and have them right there. The isolation that occurred in the West like that, even though they paint with broad strokes here, and this happens in I'm I'm going to guess Wyoming, and they're talking about having stories that they've heard from down in Kansas and Texas. You know, this movie was supposed to have taken place from 1880 to 1881. That was the time frame on it. So. It took them a long time to get where they needed to From go and, 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 and information yeah. and stuff like that. So when you had a guy like Little Bo- Little Bill, who was the sheriff, he was really unchecked. Once he became the sheriff, he was the sheriff until he wasn't the sheriff. He either quit or he got killed. So it was very easy to build that hubris up because nobody in the town was going to question him, especially when nobody had any guns. Um, you know, so you're, you're right. It was the way he acted was definitely not what a sheriff would have done. It wasn't what you know, it wasn't like a, a Wyatt Earp type type character. It was definitely a guy who's probably a tad bit corrupt and got what he wanted when he wanted it. And if he didn't, he might have thrown a little bit of a temper tantrum. And you're right, William Money going back afterwards did not accomplish anything except rid Big Whiskey of Little Bill and the five deputies that legitimately were keeping the town under their thumb. Yeah, um, I mean, and it, I mean, it's hard to tell because I mean, the the people who who are pushed down the most in this film are the prostitutes, right? They want, had it been okay with Skinny, that he whipped them, you know, and, and maybe scarred them, you know, it's a scar for a scar, so at least there's some parody there. I mean, it, yeah. But, um, but they are treated as possessions. They are, they're chattel. Um, and the fact that little Bob is going to listen to what Skinny wants and acquiesce to what he sees as justice, it doesn't sit well with them. So that's... Well, you it know, shouldn't, because like you yeah. said, it basically opens up the door that if somebody else wants to walk in there and beat the shit out of them, they just got to give up a couple horses. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they, they are trying to protect themselves the best way they know how and protect their own, their dignity the best way they know how. Um, so that's kind of what sets it in motion. I mean, other than the prostitutes, I don't see too many people in that town that feel like they're in fear of Little Bob. We do see the deputies when they're kind of getting ready to take care of English Bob mm-hmm. or yeah. When they're, yeah when they're going to take his gun from him yes yeah um they are you know they're getting ready and they're they're kind of getting their guns together and they're waiting on little Bill and they have a conversation about do you think he's scared because they probably haven't seen a level of this conflict since he's been there you you know you don't have a backstory on that yeah but they're wondering whether he's going to chicken out um so there's, I don't think they've seen him at that level of cruelty before, either. Probably not, because he's never really had a reason to do it. He wanted, but he wanted to wipe the assassins thing in the bud. Oh yeah, because that would be yeah, trouble for the town that would be completely. For the town, yeah, yeah. I guess when you stop and think about it, there really wasn't a lot else in that town. There was the brothel. Mm-hmm. There sure were a lot of people that were standing around while he was kicking English Bob's butt in the street. Yep. So, I, you know, I don't know, but. You know, it's hard to have trouble in a town when there's no weapons either. So, mm-hmm. you know, when there's no pistols. So, but, um, yeah, you know, it, it, I can see I can see where you're confronted. I, or confronted. Where conflicted. you're conflicted. Ladies and gentlemen, next week I am going to take an online English course. 
and and uh, I can see where you would be conflicted. I mean, it's you know I've always always said that it's kind of hard to root for the bad guy. They they set you up. You follow you follow uh, you know Bill Money through mm-hmm. the whole story. Right. You want him to come out alive at the end, even though they never the whole movie they spent setting him up as a good guy, even though what he did at the end was a bad guy. Well, it's really, it, it was really, really nice the way that they they worked the, the the way they wrote those two characters. Yeah, I mean, he's tortured. I mean, that's that's another thing that I think made the film a little harder to watch because throughout this th- this thing, he is um you you don't see very many modulations in his mood, right? There's no real laughter or you know, that camaraderie you get in this kind of picture where you're all off going one way to do things. He is a very serious man and he's a very haunted man. Um, He's, you know, trying to stay true to the memory of his wife who reformed him. Um, But he's also, he's very contemplated. He is haunted, you know, by his past I would venture to say that probably the only happy years he's had as a human being were when he was married to his wife. Yeah. That that would be my guess. And then to lose her to the smallpox and mm-hmm. now he's losing his pigs to the sickness. Right. And he's just, nothing is going, I mean, God, they lived in this little hovel. Yeah. Probably, probably had a, had a super rough life and, and turned to liquor early and. Right. I mean, it was the West. So you're right. He was, he would, there was no real character development in him. He was, you're right. He's sad. He was serious. He was very methodical. Mm-hmm. Um, he did. I mean, I don't. I don't even remember him coming up with like a one-liner or anything throughout the movie. I don't think I laughed during this movie once. Oh uh, well, maybe when he fell off the horse. I didn't laugh at that. Yeah. Did you? Um, I think I probably laughed at it the first time because it's not what you expect. You know, he's rusty. Exactly. Um, you know, those are those are some of the, you know, the ironies of it. You've got an old gunslinger outlaw that that can't even get on his horse. Yeah. I mean, this or, movie definitely you know. was not as funny as Dumb and Dumber. But um, <laughs> this just the way that they, you're right, the way that they had him set that up. And, and I think that he probably was tortured because he knew that there was probably nothing he could do the rest of his life to make up for all the shit that he'd done. Mm-hmm. The comments about the time where he shot that kid and his teeth went out the back of his head. Yep. He said, he said to Ned, he didn't, that kid didn't deserve that. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, you're you're right. I I mean I was happy to see him kill kill, kill Gene Hackman though. I I don't like Gene Hackman. <laughs> you, you love Gene. Have Hackman. you seen Welcome to Mooseport? <laughs> no, I'm I'm kidding. I you know the thing is too is you you wonder because I mean you look at what he had for his farm which was very little. As you mentioned, it's a very bare one room house, all that, and then when he shows up at Ned's, I mean Ned's got a bit of a garden, so to speak. Um, his house was definitely much nicer, much bigger. Um, and it's, I'm almost like, well, it's not like he didn't have a choice. He could have just picked up and moved, right? <laughs> Maybe gone well, to Ned and see, not, can not we... if he didn't have any money or any yeah, property though. That's true. I mean, even though it was the wild west, you still mm-hmm. had to lay claim to the property. That's true. Uh, I, I, and also on the Ned character, he may have had that because they make mention of uh, him having the Spencer rifle. Mm-hmm. He asked him, you still got that Spencer rifle? The Spencer rifle was carried by the, the colored U.S. Ar- uh, US Army 
uh, cavalry mm-hmm. uh, during the Civil War. So I think what they're hinting at is that Ned probably served as a soldier at some point. I don't know what the rules were back then. I don't know if you continued to get money each month. I, I don't. I don't know how. I don't know how it worked. I think at that time we were kind of done wiping out the Indians, weren't we? I don't know. Because he was married to her, so I, so may, maybe they just had the. Who knows? Maybe and and plus, when you have two people working a farm and and not taking care of kids, you get a lot more done than when you have one guy taking care of a farm, right? And taking care of two kids, right? So yes, Ned's place was significantly nicer. You're right. You're right. Yeah. The um, the the interaction between the two of them, Ned and William, and the Schofield kid. Mm-hmm. We we kind of talked about that a little bit. Uh, the only scene that was humorous was, and I didn't laugh because I, maybe the first time, I can't remember, it's been a long time since I've seen it. Uh, I mentioned to you the first time I saw this movie, uh, I was in Japan and we were locked down in the barracks and uh, we just would get a whole bunch of movies and just watch movies together. That night, for the first time in my life I'd ever seen, we watched Young Frankenstein and then Army of Darkness and then Unforgiven. So it was like this wonderful day slash night of movie watching and drinking and i remembered it being extremely incredible the the interaction where he thinks he's being followed and he's shooting at him mm-hmm. and clint and um william and uh, clint william and uh, ned are like what what the hell is he shooting at oh he's shooting at us again and get down what's he shooting at now when they find out that he's nearsighted and then they realize he really ain't gonna be worth a shit mm-hmm. there's nothing he can do for him and then he becomes this annoying just i i don't know did we get him? Did we get yeah. him? Did, did we get ever, him? Did you ever, like, everybody has their their kids always have that one toy that just annoys the shit out of you. Like you want to <laughs> you want to take and throw it in the garbage, but you know that if you do, you're gonna break somebody's heart. That's what he that's what he reminded me of. Hey, yeah, you you that's what you get for beating up a woman. Yeah, you, you're, you're not even shooting, dude. Shut up. Yeah, <laughs> and you're giving away our position. Yeah. <laughs> the, so the, I liked that interaction. Uh, that was a pretty decent story arc between or, or character development of um, of Schofield Kid. And they say that in the script, uh, they infer that he basically drowns himself uh, because he can't take the fact that he killed somebody. He goes and basically kills himself. Oh, gosh. That was something that was uh, apparently pulled out from the strip. Well, I mean, it, killing a man's a hell of a thing. And I'm not just making fun. I, I've i never had to do it. I don't know how mm-hmm. I'd react. Hmm. But especially if you went out looking to kill somebody, I think defending yourself and actually going out to kill somebody is two different things, especially for money. Right, you know, somebody beats up your kid. It's pretty easy to do, but like, hey, can I can I get fifty bucks? <laughs> yeah, knock off, Carl. <laughs> well, another thing they took out of the script too was the 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 last scene, which I believe is Bunny coming back to his kids, which it blew my mind, and I I can't believe I didn't remember this that he just left him. Didn't take him to somebody else. You know, said if you've got trouble, go to go down to this person, and they'll they'll take care of you. You know, you know who you told her to go to? Told him to go to, right? No. Told him to go to Ned's wife, Sally Two Two Pines, or so whatever her name was. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's who he told him to go see if they had an issue. So obviously they lived pretty close and they were friends, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was what nine, ten, ten. I mean, at that age, you know how to do everything that you need to do when there's no electricity anyway. I mean, it's not like he's going to live past 17. It was the Wild West. 
I know, but it's just like he no, I, they, he, he took the firearm, so the kid, you know, and the kid doesn't know because the kids didn't know that he even had the firearms, so they don't know how to defend themselves in that way. It, so it was yeah. weird. It puts you in, but it puts you in that position where you're like, wow, you, you really forget, right? Or don't even understand what it was like back then, right? Because I mean, even in the '40s, you wouldn't just get up and drive away for six weeks and say, "Big, hey, Greg, <laughs> take care of your sister. Yeah, if you have some problems, go see." bill down the street yeah. five miles <laughs> well you would if you were giant pos but you know it's but the the back to what i was saying the the scene that, on a spaceship no oh the scene that got cut was him coming back and his son asking him if he killed someone for that money and he lies to him yep that was tells him no and so that you know having to deal with that and then kind of stuff and bury that all over again um, they decided to, to take that out. Eastwood also changed uh, the end there. Uh, instead, it, the words he was supposed to have spoken and narrated, mm-hmm. and he decided that the, the words were better. Um, which, another little bit of trivia, the beginning and the end scenes are the exact time and camera angle and location mm-hmm. of High Plains Drifter. Oh, really? Uh, from, from the opening scenes of High Plains Drifter. Yeah, which is yeah, odd. Yeah, I... I think one of the things they said is, you know, for the intro, they wanted to kind of leave it as it was. That way it wouldn't overshadow the violence that happens to Delilah. Yes. Um, so that's part of it, too. But that one thing that I found really good about this movie was um, the way that they they handled the sound. OK. Um, they use very little music in this to set mood. Um, they did have the music in the beginning where he's digging the grave for his wife. Um, Clint, Eastwood, Clint Eastwood wrote that. He did? Yep. Um, but it, at the right points in in the, this, the music as it was playing, where there was like kind of a, a short break in the music, it went perfectly in time with the shoveling. Yes. So the sound... And the music were were very much in sync um, to kind of set that tone. When he is approached by Little Bill in the the bar of the brothel when he's sick, um, and the confrontation happens there, it's raining, so there's thunder outside. So the thunder, the way they use the thunder to kind of punctuate the escalation of that confrontation, even though they're both very calm. And they don't really raise their voice, you know. Little little Bill does maybe in the in at the end when he gets upset, but even then he's still very very contained as far as vo- his voice. Yes. But the thunder does it for you. Yeah. So it does. in between, and there's no other sound except the rain on the roof. That's it. Right. There's nobody talking. There's no piano playing. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It was very right. very ominous. And then it kind of uh, bookends itself at the end when you've got um, money going into the bar after he rides back into town when he finishes his whiskey bottle and sees that they have Ned propped up, Ned's body propped up as a warning. Um, and he goes in and while he's standing there too, I mean, it just does that again with the rain and the thunder and, you know, and it's not, you know, you're that it just accentuates that. And I, I thought they did just a really good job of, of that. Um, yes, they did. To, to create that mood. The, uh, 
you know, one thing we did forget to talk about with uh, Gene Hackman with the character and the way he played it was how he kind of changed once he kicked English Bob out of town and took Mr. Beauchamp mm-hmm. um, as his, um, I mean, little bitch. I mean, I don't, even, I don't know how to say it. <laughs> you know what I mean? He starts acting like delusions of, tales of grandeur, not delusions, tales of grandeur about this and that and where he really kind of wasn't doing that before he was like, I just want to build my house. And now all of a sudden it's like, yeah. oh, you know, you should write about this because this is what really happened and this is where I was. Well, we had talked about this earlier too is um you've got these you know i think in english bob and little bill kind of are foils for each other but also ned and and money are foils for english bob and, and little bill um you've got english bob who is banking on his name yes and so that's why he's got beauchamp following him around because beauchamp's writing you know dime novels about his exploits and, you know, believe in every single word, soaking it all in. And when you get the counterpoint to those stories, you get little Bill saying, no, it was uh, for him. It was all luck. You know, this guy's a coward. Right. Um, and basically telling that whole thing. But both of them have this want to preserve their legends. And now he's got an outlet for that. Right. He's it's it's Gene Hackman's character is very much about his, you know, his ego. And so this just gives him another outlet for that before it was just having better control over the town, building his house, even though his house was not exactly built well. Um, Right. And. So he he's he's looking for that ego boost. So he does get a lot more vicious, I think, for the sensationalism of what this guy could write about him. Yeah, that's that's fair. But both Ned and and Money are not that way. They don't want to go back into those exploits. Even when they talk about those things in the fire, they don't. It's not like, hey, remember the good old days. They really are not trying because the Schofield kid keeps asking him questions. Money asking him questions about this how'd you get out of that and money's like i can't remember i was drunk he basically he basically yeah. tells him just lucky i guess yeah just lucky he he attributes it all to luck which i have a different theory uh we can address that maybe and you have we have questions because i think you might ask a question that i'll probably answer it with that but it, he's he, he's a he's a different type of um gunslinger for lack of a better word than than little bill is agreed i, I you're you're right Right. He, he's very, very pompous. Very, uh, yeah, like he's trying to create a legend to, of himself. Like he yeah. wants to be remembered, like a Wyatt Earp or a or a Billy the Kid or something. Yeah, yeah, good yeah. enough. Yeah, I did I, not like. I did not like the Bochamp character. He was so smarmy and so he was a toad. He was. He was. He was. He <laughs> was a little toad. He he was. If you put the two words together, he was what the combination of a tool and a douche is, a touche. Or a, a duel? A, a duel, yeah. I, I, I hate it. I could not stand him. That was. I didn't even mind the English Bob character, except when he was insulting America, some bitch. <laughs> but, um, you know, and they made him out to be a very pompous, very. Which was the case at the time. English there Bob? Was, yeah, there was still bad blood between Americans and Brits. Yeah. You know, they were angry that they didn't own us anymore, and we were angry that, you know, they were dumb. So, 
to him to be on a train, and, and he was instigating. He was trying to oh, yeah, he give was, give some more shit to, so he could so Bochamp could write something. But yeah, um, I did think it was very funny when uh, Little Bill uh, called it the Duck of Death instead of the Duke yeah. of Death. And Bochamp was like, "Oh, that's not how you say it." And he looks at him and goes, "I know how to read." a little bit of a here let me you're sitting in the prison right now let me go ahead and twist that knife just a little bit that was that was interesting well i think too is like when i first um saw beauchamp too i was kind of like okay what is this guy's deal right because he's got this very he's got the smirk on his face the entire time english bob is doing his whole rant um and kind of back and forth with one of the guys on the train and so I'm like, is, is he a gunslinger too? I didn't remember what his role was. Um, so when they confront English Bob out in front of the barber shop, um, and he pisses his pants, I was like, okay, not a gunslinger. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, for real. Uh, I I did enjoy that scene very much. I had forgotten that scene. Um, and you just made said something just so everybody knows you had tried to watch this at one point and you stopped watching it right before the confrontation in the bar between money and little bill Yeah, because you don't like to see Clint Eastwood get hurt because your dad looks a lot like Clint Eastwood. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. I was going through a, a kind of a rough time in my life too. So I was just like, uh, I don't want to see this. I don't want to see somebody get the shit beat out of them. Understood. This is, you know, uh, I've seen it three or four times. Uh, I don't think it holds up as well as I thought. It, it, it's, I don't think it's as good as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. I still think it's a a a, a very good movie. Uh, I don't know if it was best picture quality. To be honest with you, I think there's a lot to this movie, but I also feel like maybe if it had come out in a different year, it might not have gotten nominated. Um, just to just to kind of throw it out there. Uh, the year it was nominated, it was up against Crying Game, A Few Good Men, Howard's End, and Scent of a Woman. Now, I've seen three of those five. Uh, I will not see Crying Game or the How- or Howard's End. I'm sure they're very good movies. i probably closing myself down. Uh, I have zero interest in watching those movies. Um, but A Few Good Men, that's not, that's not Best Picture. That, that's, I'm sorry. I just didn't see it. And Scent of a Woman, that's a good movie, but that's not Best Picture. But if you look at the year before that, which was 1991, the five nominees were Silence of the Lambs, Beauty of the Beast, Bugsy, JFK, and Prince of Tides. I don't think if it out, comes out that year, it gets nominated at all. And the following year, the year after that, was Forrest Gump, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Pulp Fiction, Quiz Show, and Shawshank. Four Weddings Ma- and a Funeral was like nominated was for best, best picture? picture. Yeah. I like that film, but Best Picture, but really? Not, yeah, but it's not a Best Picture, right? Uh, That's I mean, rare. That's rare for like a, a romantic comedy to be in the Best Picture category. I never knew that. Well, how odd the year before that, the year before Unforgiven, Beauty and the Beast. That was the first animated picture to be nominated for Best Picture, I think. Yeah, and I can see why then. Of, of course. Uh, and you know what? And all of those movies are very good movies. I've seen all of those except Quiz Show, and I've been told that Quiz Show is fantastic. I would mm. like to see it, but you know, put it on the list. Um, I've seen all of the 92s except Bugsy. Um, I don't know why I haven't seen Bugsy. I feel like it probably is a pretty good movie. Um, but it, I don't think that this movie... I won't forgive Warren Beatty for Bullworth. I'm sorry. Oh. 
I don't know. I just I feel like maybe it just was fortunate that it was out the year it was out. Now this this did win four Oscars. Um, it won Best Picture. Uh, it won uh, um, Best Director. Um, Best, uh, it did not win Best Actor. It was nominated for Best Actor. Uh, it was Eastwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, it won Best Supporting Actor uh, for, for Gene Hackman. He won. Uh, he beat out Jay Davidson in The Crying Game, Jack Nicholson from A Few Good Men. Again, not worthy of Best Supporting Actor. That, that, I mean, Nicholson was good in that, but uh, Al Pacino and Glengarry Glenn Ross and David Paymer, Mr. Saturday Night. I've never seen that. And it won, uh, it won Best Director. Eastwood beat out... Uh, Robert Altman for The Player, Martin Brest for Scent of a Woman, James Ivory for Howard's End, and Neil Jordan for The Crying Game. Um, he did not win Best Actor. He was nominated for Best Actor. Uh, Pacino won it for Scent of a Woman. He was up against... hoo He was up against uh, Robert Downey Jr. for Chaplin, uh, Stephen Ray for Crying Game, and Denzel for Malcolm X. So there's some pretty big names there. I don't, I don't buy the Best Picture. Even watching it now, I don't... Oh, it won Best Editing, too. Mm-hmm. It did win Best Editing. That was the fourth one that it won. I think it was really good. I think it's well done, acting, the, the dialogue. It was it was realistic. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They, but I don't... I think there's a lot more to unpack there, too. It seems like a simple story. Um, you know, one of the things that I had a hard time getting over was his insistence and the... Rep- continued repetition of I'm, I'm ain't like that anymore I'm not like that anymore I'm not like that anymore um but I, I, there's a reason for it you know because obviously it's building up to something but I think if you you there's a lot to look at you know the further I am away from us watching it there's a there's a lot to to look at in terms of the the different characters that are in it even though it's not it's not a complex cast right it's um there's not a lot of character development in this movie at all right but i mean if you even look at like let's let's take a look at the you know francis um i can't think of her name and my my computer just uh went into to save mode um which which character um strawberry alice okay um versus delilah right um delilah doesn't get to really say much about what happened to her Right. She's not at a place where she's angry about it that you would see. She's very much an innocent in this. Um, she's she's almost when you, when you have the scene where um, Mike and Davey come back to get the give the horses to skinny. Um, it's not Mike. Um, Davey has his best colt that he's prepared to offer to Delilah as apology. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a shot of her face um, where she's, you can see she's touched by it in a way. Um, and I don't know necessarily mulling it over. I don't think she, she knew what to do. I think she's probably still a little bit of shock seeing them as well. When you see your attacker, it's not, you know, a, something where you're ready to, to speak to them or even want to see them. So she's kind of going through her own thing and you've got Strawberry Alice going, nope, and just leading them to kind of throw in mud cluds, mud cluds. I I think they were throwing horse poop. (laughs) Horse poop, manure, mud, whatever. I think that's what they were going for. Clumps of mud and whatever else is on the ground at them to, to get them out of town. Now, 
Starialis is kind of the uns, you know, the undesignated leader of this. So mm-hmm. she's probably the head madam or or whatever in in that. Yeah, I think she was pretty much the one in charge. So she's got a lot more, I think, at stake. Okay. There, and so she's, um, you know, defending Delilah's honor, but I think she's got stakes in it too, and she's got stakes in it for the rest of the girls that are there. But they are they are an interesting contrast to each other as well. So, you know, you don't get a lot from them. You don't get a lot of words and stuff like that. But it just helps you kind of understand that there's a lot of humanity behind this. They aren't just old West prostitutes. Um, you know, they are there's a lot to think about after this movie's over with. OK, Skinny's dead. Little Bill's dead. So what happens to those girls? Right. Are they better off for it they or are they not? They decide who, they decide how much. <laughs> Just like Julia Roberts, Roberts and Pretty Woman. <laughs> I, des- I decide who, and I... Um, and no kissing. Yeah, well, it leaves it, it leaves that town in shambles because they have they have no lawmen now. Nope. At all. Well, except the ones that, that snuck out. So oh, now that's you've right, got, the one. You've got that one guy and, and, and... But, I mean, it's... You don't know. You don't really know how... Um, being left has affected those kids. You don't, you know, you get a little bit of in the in the prologue with the the words on the screen that mimic the words that that come get came up in the beginning of the film. Um, that he's you know moved to San Francisco and been successful in dry goods, but it doesn't mean that he's not haunted by this either, right? right. And like you said, the Schofield kid, we we don't find out what happens to him. We don't find out what happens to to Sally Two Feathers, you know, she's got to be told that her husband died. That's, you know, you don't see the rest of it, but you're left with that. Um, and that's something to, that, that makes this film much more than just a Western. Yes. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned the, I don't, I'm not like that anymore. I'm not like that anymore. I'm not like that anymore. Um, I think that what they're going after there is kind of a Jekyll and Hyde type thing. Mm -hmm. And, we we talked about it a little bit. I don't think he wants to do the bounty thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think he wants to. I don't think he wants to. He's forced to. Yeah. I think he knows that he doesn't have a choice. It's it's that or his family's going to die and starve to death. So he goes and gets Ned because he wants Ned to snipe this guy from a distance with his rifle, and then he wants the Schofield kid to do the rest. He was just going to kind of. He was going. He was going to be like. Yeah. Pro- he was going to be like the project manager, right? <laughs> hey, I'm here. I get my twenty five percent cut. So I think that was a large part of it. But when then when Ned backed out, he had to do it, right? And he did it because he had to. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a and there's a significant difference between how he did it when he had to kill when they killed Davy, versus the 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 killings at the end, right? right. He's very empathetic, right, to what Davy's going through as far as when he's asking for water and. And he's scared and all that. He's he's more empathetic than you see him probably for the rest of the film. Well, that's that's what I was going after. Yeah. When it comes to the point that he they, they complete their job and they have the money, he's ready to just get back on the horse and go home and be done with it. And then he finds out they killed his friend. That was the moment we, we talked about. It. That was the instant he took the bottle. He literally took the bottle out of the Schofield kid's hand. And he and he was because because Schofield kid was as soon as he shot um, uh, quick Mike. In the in the bathroom, uh, as soon as that happened, he was drinking, and, yeah. and then William took the bottle, mm-hmm. and I think that it went from a 
he went in his mind, it clicked where he didn't want to do it to he wanted to do it. And he knew what he had to do to do it. Mm -hmm. And that was the switch that flicked. And he decided, because you're right, it was cold. It was calculating. He walked over and shot people laying on the ground. I mean, we we said it uh, before. The first thing he did when he walked in with a double barrel shotgun and said, who owns this place? And he goes, this is my establishment. The words were barely out of his mouth. He shot him right in the chest with a shotgun. Done. And the guy's like, what are you doing shooting an unarmed man? He's like, you put my dead friend on display in front of your establishment. That makes you a murderer in my eyes. Something paraphrasing there. Well, uh, well using him for decoration yeah, is what using, he said. Yeah. So it was just like at that point, it was, it was uh, I'm, tell him I'm coming and hell's coming with me type situation. And, and I, I think that they wanted, they it was... It was the stupid thing that Hollywood does where they don't think that we're smart enough to catch something where all he had to do was say, I'm not like that anymore. We had to be told 50 times that, yeah, we, we get you're not like that anymore. It was a little annoying, but well, they I think did it because they wanted to force it down your throat. We had another conversation about this, and I think what you, what you said makes sense um, in that previous conversation, which was when you, you, ha- you talk to someone who's like a former addict or alcoholic – you have to constantly remind yourself not to be the person that you were. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not the same person. I'm not the same person. It's, um, you know, it's like the conversation we had too, when we talked about, um, uh, the kids, our kids in the hall episode. I can't think of the name. Oh, Brain candy. Brain candy. There we go. Woo. Okay. I took some, I need some, um, you know, with brain candy, when we talked about, you know, rewiring of the brain, right? You're going to, if you're in a continued cycle of negative thoughts, it affects you. Right. Um, so you constantly, you know, when you're dealing with depression or anything like that, you know, while the drugs can kind of help with the the chemicals that need to kind of be back in balance, you still have to continue to remind yourself to to think differently and get out of those negative cycles to help yourself along. So I can I can see that argument that you you talked about the other day completely coming through in this. It's just when you're kind of starting to watch it, you're like, right, you know, and, and we got to put our, this is not great dialogue. We got to put ourselves <laughs> in his shoes too. If he was really going to start drinking again, he probably would have started drinking the instant his wife died of smallpox. The reason that he changed his life and turned everything around. I mean, I, I think that if you drink like that for fifteen or twenty years, like he did, I don't. I think it's hard to just stop and you probably every day yearn for it. Yeah. And that was his mantra. Yeah. I'm not like that anymore. Mm-hmm. And that, that's how, that what he said to stiff, to strengthen himself. And then when he decided he didn't want to be like that anymore, he, he wasn't like that anymore. So, yeah. Um, what do you say we take a break? Okay. Yo, 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 what up? It's your boy, Kobe Mack, host of the Colby Told Me podcast. It's my whenever I want to deep dive with the Mack himself, where I get to amplify my movie reviews for your listening pleasure. This is my 30 minutes or less solo pod, keeping it real with reviews, sometimes movie news, and an always dope box office breakdown. I'm the best subjectively objective film critic in the game, and when they ask you where you heard it from, you tell them Kobe told me. Peace. That was a tremendous break. It was like four and a half hours long. 
It was? No, it wasn't. Oh, okay. We don't have that much time. <laughs> so one of the things about this movie uh, that's kind of impressive is there's really a lot of stories and things associated with it. Uh, it was very easy to find trivia associated with this movie and oddities that this movie was involved with. One of them is the, the, the story behind why Clint Eastwood made the movie when he did. Yeah. He he was he was given the script in the early eighties. Nineteen eighty four to be exact. Basically told some people that um he wanted to do some other things first. That's mm-hmm. why he wasn't doing it. But then afterwards they asked him, um, he said that he wanted to make sure that he did it when he was the right age. And it was nineteen eighty four and it was given him by Megan Rose, who was a story analyst at Warner Brothers, who Clint happened to be having sex with at the time. Um Apparently, Mr. Eastwood is a Lothario. Uh, I was going to say Poonhound, but <laughs> I mean, you know, whatever. Mine is much more classy. Yeah, much more, much more classy. <laughs> um, Eastwood wanted Gene Hackman to model Little Bill after the chief of police for Los Angeles, who was Daryl Gates at the time. I have no idea who that is. So I, I, I don't yeah. either, but that's an interesting bit. Apparently, some shit was going down in Los Angeles that people in Los Angeles didn't like. Well, that was right around the time of the riots, wasn't it? Or right after it? 92? Yeah. I don't remember. Uh, I, uh, I don't know. I think so. Were the, what, when, what, the riots were because of Rodney King? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah uh, I don't remember when that happened. It was around, It was around that time. Yeah, it was around that time. Um, Gene Hackman was very concerned about how they were going to portray the violence in the movie uh, and he did not like uh, being a part of a movie that was supposedly taking care of of all of this um, not taking care of being part of a movie with all the gunfighting and, and just killing Okay. Uh, and Clint Eastwood uh, promised him that he wouldn't glorify the gun violence but yet, Gene Hackman did three westerns in a row, um, <laughs> Unforgiven, Wyatt Earp, and The Quick and the Dead. Hmm. And if you've ever seen The Quick and the Dead, there ain't nothing but people getting their ass shot in that one. Um, it took them uh, 39 days to shoot this movie, four days ahead of schedule. They built the town in 35 days. It wasn't just like cardboard cutouts like you see in um, Blazing Saddles. Yes, it was. Yeah. It was that's okay. exactly <laughs> what it was. <laughs> um, this movie was originally going to be directed by Francis Ford Coppola in the early 80s. Hmm. Uh, and he had a person that he was going to hire to be the lead role of William Money. And that one said person was John Malkovich. That would have been a different movie. It would have been a different movie, a much different movie. Uh, he wore the same boots in this movie that he wore in Rawhide. Rawhide. They're the same boots he wore on Rawhide. They are now a part of Eastwood's private collection and were on loan to the 2005 Sergio Leone exhibit at the Gene Autry Museum of Western Heritage in Los Angeles. So basically, these boots bookended his career as in Westerns because he wore them in Rawhide, which is where he got his start, and 
the Unforgiven was his last it was his last uh, western I, as I, of 2019. I, I thought you were going to say they were made for walking, but <laughs> well, they apparently they were. Um, there is a story about how Eastwood brought his mother on as an extra, and um, she toiled through a very uncomfortable day because she was wearing a heavy dress, and she was filmed. She was in a scene where they were boarding a train. And the scene was eventually was eventually cut because Eastwood told her that it was too long and something had to go. But she said she forgave him when he thanked her when he won Best Director. <laughs> <laughs> what's What's funny is you know I've watched a I watched a couple of videos about how this um, and kind of the dances with wolves were the kind of the beginning of more of the revisionist westerns because after that you had um, Tombstone and. I forget what the fourth one was. Um, yeah, Dances with Wolves, this, Tombstone, and... I can't remember what the the, the last one was. Wyatt Earp? Perhaps. I, I don't know. Um, I... Oh, where was I going with this? Um, so, in watching it, they showed a clip of Eastwood basically er, er, during getting his best director at the Grammys. Oscars. A great Oscars, <laughs> getting his Golden Globe at the Grammys. Yeah, um, for best song. Yeah, exactly. Album um, of the year. <laughs> album of the year, best new artist. Um, so at the Oscars, and you know how they show people in the audience when somebody's walking up to the stage, and they they had a shot of Hackman, and he didn't look happy. You know they had. Morgan Freeman's all happy and you know and clapping and stuff like that, and he just looks like just I don't know what was going. Yeah, he fucking killed him. I, <laughs> He's like that son of a bitch killed me, and they gave him an award. This is bullshit. So I really have to wonder, you know, what the relationship was between Hackman and, and Eastwood, because anyone else I've heard of, you know, in interviews talking about Eastwood as a director, I mean, they worked they worked together again. Um uh, I don't remember what it was. Uh, I'll get to it here in just a second. Um, uh, oh my goodness. The, uh, the train scenes were actually filmed in Sonora, California. And cause there was an operational 19th century standard gauge railway track in the era area. Hmm. And the film was filmed in Calgary and all the rain had to be manufactured because Calgary was going through a big time drought. Which is odd because oh, and this oh, the part where they're in the 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 barn and he's getting better. Mm-hmm. The snow was unscripted. Oh, and a surprise. <laughs> um, this is one of two times that he has won Best Director and Best Picture. Um, and he co-starred with Morgan Freeman both times. The other one was Million Dollar Baby. Mm-hmm. And um, the oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. What's okay? G, uh, do you want me to kind of jump in with mine? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry, everybody. Sorry, everybody. No, that's okay. Sorry. Give, give you time to look it up. Um, one thing about a lot of our westerns, um, you know, from that kind of golden age of westerns, is you know a lot of the stories were taken from Japanese samurai films, Kurosawa. This again? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, you know. I'm kidding. No, yes. Seven Samurai yeah. became Magnificent Seven. You know, they they kind of borrowed off of their fame. So I think it's it's interesting that this got remade as a Japanese samurai film um, in 2013. Yes. So it's fairly well rated on Rotten Tomatoes, although I've heard it's it's a little, it's not as polished as as this one but they they said there's there's some good and, and, and interesting filmmaking there. Clint Eastwood was uh he reteamed with Gene Hackman in Absolute Power. And I believe that's the one where he Hackman or, Gene, or Eastwood plays um a thief. He's like a cat burglar, I think. I'd have to look it up. This was the one I was looking for. This is one of three Warner Brothers movies in a row where the best picture winner co-starred Morgan Freeman. Driving Miss Daisy in 89. Million Dollar Baby in 2004, or excuse me, Unforgiven in 92, and then Million Dollar Baby in 2004. The Departed in 2006 would be the first Warner Brothers Best Picture Oscar winner without Freeman since Amadeus in 84. Uh, Kevin Costner told Morgan Freeman about this movie while they were filming Robin Hood Men in Tights. Men in Tights. I did it again. Wrong one. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. (laughs) I did it again. Well, you know what? I guess I'm going to have to watch that movie again. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and went to um, Clint Eastwood as soon as he was done filming and asked for the role and was given the role. Um, Clint Eastwood said this would be the last movie that he would write or or direct and star in. He he lied. Um, There's a couple other things, but... I I wonder, too, um, because he wanted to to have this role um, if this was colorblind casting which would be cool because a lot of people complain about that. Um, you know, was was Ned supposed to be, you know, was it indicated, you know, that he, what he was supposed to be as far as his race was concerned? I mean, good on, good on Clean Newswood if it wasn't, you know, because it does add, it adds more, it makes the film more interesting. Um, you know, you don't see... I a lot of the the cowboys um that were freed slaves um that was definitely your best option I think after after they repealed slavery because it paid much better than any other job in the city right um they you know they were given a lot of leeway as you know ranch hands to to carry a gun and they were trusted to bring cattle back and um they were paid on par with their white counterparts. Um, and what I was reading is that um, the term cowboy actually applied to those freed slaves. Um, it just became very general in the vernacular to kind of be applied to everyone because the other, the white ones were called cowhands. So it's, it, it is, it's interesting to add that to it. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'd wonder what the, if the script actually defined that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I know that according to the script, the Schofield kid did drown himself out of, out of guilt. So they didn't do it in the movie, which I guess is probably a good thing. Yeah. It's a heavy movie. It to is begin a heavy with. movie. That would have made it really. At the shootout in Greeley's, William Money fires all six bullets from the Schofield kid's Schofield pistol. When he tells the rest of the men to clear out the back, he's threatening them with an empty gun. <laughs> that's awesome um, and, and I liked I liked this part too uh, apparently there's another version of the scene where William Money kills Little Bill 
And on set, Clint Eastwood fires the gun at the prone Gene Hackman. Someone off camera screams, and Eastwood smiles at Hackman, saying, Take that. This was screened when Clint Eastwood was a guest on the Oprah Winfrey show in order to promote the bridges of Madison County. <laughs> so um, there's a lot of things in this movie that are there's there's even more uh, if you want to dig into it there's there's quite a few things it's it's on several you know best of lists it's on the top, uh, uh, AFI's top 100 uh it's on Roger Ebert's great movies yep. um it was well, act- it actually got recognized uh 2004 it was added to the United States National Film Registry of the Library of Congress and as and being deemed as culturally historically or aesthetically significant so yeah, one of the things in, in reading and doing a little research about this, you know, before we recorded, is, you know, I would find certain articles and they would say, you know, at the end, you know, he showed himself to be the devil or, you know, things like that. Um, I I have a hard time seeing that as, you know, his him being evil, right? Because it's not like he took any joy in it. Now, had they done the cut that you talked about that they showed on the Oprah Winfrey show then you could see that transformation kind of become complete. Because I think his, even at the end, when he's drunk and he's doing what he feels he needs to do to, to take revenge or, or avenge Ned's death, um, he's very controlled, very, you know, modulated. He's, again, he's not, his delivery isn't that much different from the rest of it. You know, maybe not as broken, but... I definitely don't feel, I feel for the character in terms of he's got to do the thing he said he wouldn't do and become the person he didn't want to become, but I'm not seeing evil, you know? <laughs> well, I, I have a theory about that as well. Uh, and we didn't talk about it. Uh, this will be probably the last part we analyze. Mm. There's a scene in the movie where while Little Bill is talking to um, um, Thule McDusherson. And um, he's telling a story about Little Bob or English Bob and about how the story was glorified because supposedly English Bob had done this and done that. What had really happened was the guy that he was going to have a pistol, pistol fight with was so fast on the draw that he shot himself in the foot. He literally shot the gun before he got out of his holster and then English Bob was right. able to kill him. Right. And he says, it's not about being the fastest. It's about being the person that's being the most controlled. Mm-hmm. I firmly believe that when Will Money went into Greeley's he was going to kill two people he had the shotgun the double barrel shotgun I believed he was going to kill Skinny and I believed he was going to kill Little Bill the reason that I say that is he took all the money knowing that Ned was dead all the money and gave it to the Schofield kid Schofield. Schofield, 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 potato, tomato. And said, go take this to, what's her name? Not, not wait for me. Mm-hmm. Not hold on. I'll be right back. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. That was the first thing he did. He didn't keep a cut for himself, thinking that maybe the Schofield kid would rip him off. And he basically, I think that he went in there saying, we're going to have a shootout. I'm going to kill me a couple people. They're going to kill me and I'm, I'm going to be put out of my misery. That, that's what I think. Because he walked into that bar and there was what, 25 guys in there? I don't know. I, I, there, was, there, was, there was a bunch. Because mm-hmm. think about how many ran out. 
Now, granted, not all of them would have had guns, but some of them might have had guns. But there was at least five lawmen in there. So he went in there with a shotgun and a, and a pistol. What I mean, legitimately, what are the chances of making it out? I think they were... The story from Little Bill sets up the fact that he was very cold and calculating and deliberate. Everybody else is panicking. He's drunk. He just, he's not scared. That's, that's where the alcohol played, and he just took his time, and you could see him pop, 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 drop down to a knee. I think that that's probably maybe what people are saying the demon mm-hmm. because he walked into a room full of people fully expecting to not leave and he was okay with it yeah which is kind of strange from a point of view of a parent right that yeah. you would just kind of leave your kids to well maybe fend he, for themselves well sally two two trees probably would have taken care of them but two tre- i keep calling her two feathers <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> that's racist no. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that I can I can kind of see it because it's like you know they always have these portraits of a killer and stuff like that on these different shows or whatnot and these guys are always just like just pure evil right. because they don't care if they get away with it or not I don't think he cared if he walked out of there or not in fact I think it surprised him because he was on his horse, like, and if, and if y'all come looking for me, I'm going to kill every one of you. And if you touch the hookers, I'm going to kill every one of you. And you, you give Ned a proper yeah, burial. You give, yeah. I'm going to come back and kill you. I don't, I don't think he knew what he was supposed to have done at that point because he was right sober enough that he knew what was up, but he was still... Well, the thing that you see in that character, though, like we talked about, you know, a, a antisocial personality disorder, you know, in our Gone Girl episode and stuff like that. So if you've got a, a psychopath or a sociopath, the the two things that they have in common are um, kind of based out of ego, right? They, they, they're trying to constantly preserve their ego. I don't see that in that character. Agreed. Um, so that's kind of, you know, part, part of that where I'm like, I'm just, not seeing where that would come from in in him, you know, maybe that that's been tempered over the years with his wife, but you know, yeah. he's not somebody that's just. There's a real possibility that the people that are saying that as well, just looked at the fact that he walked into a bar and killed seven people, just cold blooded. I mean, walked up to walked up to to little Bill and just point blank shot him, killed you know killed the bartender. With a shotgun blast to the chest, that's 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 that's, that's vicious. Mm-hmm. I can see where they're coming from, and you know what? Maybe those people that said that weren't expecting that at the end. Maybe it was just like a bang bang. Okay, I'm gonna go. And what he, I mean, he basically killed like you like we said all the law in the town except for the one that wasn't in the the whorehouse. I can see it. I didn't see it that way. I saw it as a guy getting revenge for his friend. That's what I saw it. That's that's kind of how I looked at mm-hmm. it, justified or unjustified. That's just kind of the way I saw it when he walked in there like that. I think he would have taken a bottle with him though, right? <laughs> it was rainy. <laughs> One of the things I am seeing in here is um, they are kind of repeating something from the outlaw Josie Wales in this too. Um, it says when Beauchamp asks him in a piece of dialogue that virtually repeats a scene from Josie Wales what his strategy was in shooting down his opponents. Money denies any strategy, whatever. I was just lucky in, in, in the order 
but then I've always been lucky when it comes to killing folks. Yeah, which is, you know, what I think the point is that little Bill was making. He was just so calm and collected, and yeah, mm-hmm. and, and 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 that really is what make, that really is what wins the day in a firefight like that. So it's fair enough. Yeah, that was um just to make sure that I give it proper. Yeah, proper credit. That's you know, uh, and and if you like westerns and you've never seen Outlaw Josie Wales, that's a damn good movie too. Mm-hmm. Most of most of Eastwood's westerns are pretty good. Some of them are a little long. The spaghetti westerns are a little odd, but they're they're fun. They're definitely mm-hmm. fun watches. I mean, they're you know they're they're big they're big for a reason. You know, we you said this movie kind of goes against the grain, uh, with your kind of rooting for the bad guy, kind of rooting not rooting for the good guy. Right. Um, well, there's I don't think the good and bad is you yeah. know. Well, you know there is another western that we've watched that kind of does that trail, and that was going south. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know Jack Nicholson was not a good guy in that movie no, at all, he was and yet, yet no. you're pulling for him. So. Yeah, you're pulling for him because you're pulling for um, uh, what's her name? Ted Danson's wife, Mary Steenburgen. Mary Steenburgen. Oh no, I hate her. <laughs> uh, so that that piece that I just read was from um, the University of Alberta Press, um, and U Alberta Arts. Nice program. So, um, I think that kind of sums it up at this point. We've yeah. kind of. You got any questions? I don't think so. I think we talked a lot about this. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I've, you know, given it a lot of thought and kind of sat back with it. So I don't think there's a lot of questions. I mean, the, like I said, the questions would be, you know, what, you know, you really have to wonder what happens to those people because it's not just, um, uh, you know, even though you don't have a hell of a lot of, of time with the supporting characters, they are definitely painted to be human beings and not just these tropes that are part of the genre. Right. So you just tend to wonder what what happened to them. Gotcha. I don't really have any, any mm-hmm. questions. Um, I, I think that there's not a lot that this movie leaves. Mm-hmm hanging you, you know what i mean i think it's it's pretty concise it's pretty linear you you know what's going down okay did you want to do box office or do oh, you have that i do want to do box office thank you very much something about this movie stuck out to me um it, it's actually kind of amazing this movie and i i, I acknowledge it was a different time it was 1992. Uh, if you wanted to see a movie, then you basically had to go see it in the theater or wait for the rental. This movie for 1992 was number 17. In 1992, it made $75 million. I could not find the budget, but I'm sure that with Morgan Freeman and Clint Eastwood and Gene Hackman, this had a pretty stiff budget. I would I would guess it for that time, probably 30 or 35 or $40 million. Now, this is what's impressive. It made $75 million in 1992, but overall it made $101.1 million. This movie was released on August 7th of 1992, and its last day in the theaters was July 15th, 1993. Wow. And on its last day in the theaters, it still did $10,000. Wow. Which doesn't sound like a lot but 
that was ten thousand dollars on one hundred and twenty nine screens. It was released on two thousand and seventy one screens. So almost two weeks shy of a year later, it was still making ten to eleven thousand dollars a day. Now that last day was a Thursday. Which leads me to believe that on the Friday they wanted room for July fifteenth. It's a Friday, so you got a summer blockbuster coming out that they needed the room for. If it if you took its its money, and you you grouped it as if that was how much money it made, and you put it up against the other movies of the year, mm-hmm. that made it number nine. Um, that's kind of impressive. To, to have a run like that. Biggest movies of the year, number one, Batman's Returns, uh, number two, Lethal Weapon 3, number three, Sister Act. Uh, it Batman Returns did $162 million, and Sister Act 2 did $139 million. Unforgiven did $101 million. That's probably That's probably the biggest movie we've done so far, hmm. I, I, th- I feel like. that's That's an impressive run in the theater to me. For instance, to put it in perspective, Batman Returns was from June nineteenth to October twenty second. That ain't shit. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that has something to do with getting it out of the theater so they can get it on t- on videotapes to rent and, and whatnot. But still, that's 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 a hell of a run. Um, you know, and even even so, seventeenth overall. That ain't that ain't no joke. Uh, the big technically the biggest movie of the year would have been Aladdin, but it got released on November, so it it made ninety nine million in, in ninety two and two hundred seventeen million overall, but that carried over into the next year. So, I mean, number eight for the year that's not too bad, but but technically number seventeenth by the book. So there you go. Yeah, uh, I don't think it gave me the budget. Let me make sure that I didn't screw that up. Okay. And I do not have a number for the budget. All right. Made $15 million opening weekend. So this movie didn't destroy on opening weekend, but word of mouth carried it. So it, it was... I mean, it's first Friday, it only made $5 million. Of course, this is 1992 as well. So, you know. So it's got that going for it, which is nice. <laughs> and we're kind of in a recession at that point, too, so... Uh, yeah. Because of the Democrats? What? <laughs> uh, that was, um, well, that, well, Bill had just taken over and was starting to make a lot of cutbacks. So I'm not saying that as, and that just, I was just being no, funny. No, but I know, we was, was I, know, I know it was hard to find a job when I got out of college and that was around that time. So. Uh, see, I was a jarhead at the time, so I was gainfully employed. <laughs> um, would you watch this again? Uh, we didn't do our top three oh. moments. Do you have top three moments? I do. All right. I do. Good um, for you. Because I talk- don't know if I do. Well, we already talked about the duck of death. Yeah, that was yeah, great. That's that's good. That's that's, good. that's 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 classic Hackman kind of yes. playing with and toying with his prey a little bit there. Um, the thing that I thought was really funny too is you know we have this whole side um, story on little Bill that he's trying to build on his home so he can have his home by the river with his porch and everything. And you find out from, you know, other characters that there isn't a single 90 degree angle on it. No right angle in that place. And, um, you know, you've got 
Skinny uh, coming to tell Bill about the rumor that's been going around about the the bounty that's on the you know Mike and Davy's heads, and he's boasting. Bill, Bill is boasting about his house and talking about working on the house and stuff like that. He's like, oh yeah, it's fine house, fine house, fine house. Yeah. And then a little later on, when he's got Beauchamp hanging on with him, um, they're in his house and it's raining outside, and there is just a bucket over here and a bucket over there, and trying to dump water out of this bucket, stuff like that, because it's leaking because he's definitely not a good builder. And there's a point, you know, everybody else is kind of blowing smoke up his ass about, you know, oh, yeah, it's a great house, it's a great house, Bill. And Beauchamp says, um, well, I'd, you know, hang the carpenter. And yeah. you get this second where Gene Hackman just looks at him. He gave him he gave him that evil look. That death stare, like, you know, and you know, he's obviously got a you know, you know, he's got a goal with this guy trying to write a book about him, so he thinks better of it and walks away. But I just think it's really funny with the the, the juxtaposition of people going, Oh yeah, it's a great house, Bill, it's a great house, and then this one person actually telling him the truth. Yeah. That no, that was that was very good. I like that very much. Um, and I think the scene where Ned kind of figures out that um, the Schofield kid has uh, cannot see well and basically kind of gives him a test and says, you know, you see that hawk up there? Think you can shoot it? And you've got that one second where the camera's on uh, Clint Eastwood and Clint Eastwood's looking up like, what the hell is he talking yeah. about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was funny. My first, my first one was uh, after the scene where he was with Beauchamp in the house and it was raining everywhere and he had all the pots and the pans. Yeah. And, um, you know, this and that's going on. There was another scene later where somebody came up to the house and they said something to him and he was up on the roof mm-hmm. and like hangs down. Oh, that was that's when Skinny came to yeah, tell him about... Yeah, Skinny came to talk to him. So <laughs> he's up on the roof trying to fix all the leaks. Yeah. I just thought that was funny that they like referenced that a couple of times. Um, the other one that I liked was, and it was a part that I had never caught before, and there's the scene where they're getting ready to go get Little Bob's gun, and the one-armed deputy walks in, and he says, um, why do you carry so many guns? And the one-armed guy goes, I don't want to get killed from lack of being able to shoot back. Because <laughs> like, he obviously, right. so he's got like all these guns. And I guess, having done some research, that was a reference to Wild Bill Hickok, because he typically carried two pistols on his waist, one in a shoulder holster. He would sometimes stick one in the back of his belt, and he always had at least one derringer hidden on his person. So kind of a, a nice little fun nod. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one, the, the part that I, I found hysterical the first time I watched it, and it's always been one of my favorite parts, is when the Schofield kid shows up, and he's like, you can come with me. We can kill this guy. And he goes, nope, I don't do that anymore. Schofield kid walks, you know, dry, rides away. And the next couple of scenes, you see him with his pistol, and he's standing like, five feet away from a can and he can't shoot it <laughs> and he gets pissed off and he goes inside and he comes back with a damn shotgun and he doesn't and it's just for effect he shoots it i thought <laughs> i thought that was um very entertaining okay him not being able to ride the horse was kind of fun too the first couple of times well, i saw it yeah and his reason for that is you know i'm just it's to paraphrase karma, right? I've mistreated a lot of animals in yes. my life. This is just them getting back at me. Yeah. Not so I think okay. pretty much so unraveled, unforgiven. Would you watch it again? 
Yeah, I'd watch it again. Um, I probably would have to be in the right mood for it because it is a kind of somber film. Yeah, it's not one of those, hey, what do I want to watch? Oh, Unforgiven. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a, not a movie that you could watch on a loop, I don't think. No. It's, it's, it's a, it, to me, it's a very good movie, but I don't think it... I don't think it's that one of those types of movies. It's not a money pit or something like that. Yeah, and there's a reason you don't have an unforgiven franchise of you know restaurants, but you have Bubba Gump. There's a Bubba Gump. <laughs> All right, so I guess we only have one question left. Yeah. What um, am I going to watch? Well, I am going to take your best picture and meet it with the best picture from 1940. Oh, get the fuck out of here! Okay, what am I watching? Um, we're watching Rebecca, which is Alfred Hitchcock's first American project. Okay. Haven't I seen this? I don't think you did. Okay. I don't think you have. We could just wait and watch the remake of Rear Window coming out this year. <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, good job, writers. This is, way this to come is up not with something your new. typical Hitchcock movie again. It's his first American project, so it's not. It's it, not something along the lines of you know North Bendisworth. Is it Hitchcockian? Um, I I don't think so. No, it's just, okay. it's a kind of a different tone. It's it's a little bit more of a, it's a psychological thriller, but it's also kind of drum, you know melodrama kind of a deal. But it's okay. uh, um you know it won Best Picture in nineteen forty. Um, it also won Best Cinematography, and it had a total of 11 nominations. Well, yeah, there was only six movies that year. <laughs> All right. Okay. 19, 1940, I guess. Yeah. Do, do, do. Okay, so that would be it. That's it. You can find us at? You can find us on Twitter and on Instagram at the handle at HoneyWatchThis. You can also find us on Facebook. Um, you can find us on our Podbean page, which is honeyyoushouldwatchthis.podbean.com. We would really appreciate it if you uh, subscribed. Um, we are anywhere you can find podcasts. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, why don't you rate us and review us? We would love that. Yes, we would. All right. All right. We are done. See you next week. Bye-bye.